Whether it's new technology companies that are debuting a new ride-hailing app that allows you to use personal vehicles to drive people around, whether it's electric scooters, or whether it's some new mode of technology that's coming out. The private sector is well positioned to provide advice for a fee to clients. And on the public sector side, I think there's just so many challenges of day-to-day -day operations that you're trying to manage with limited public budgets that you don't necessarily have the capabilities to think about what's coming next and how do you best position yourself for that. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views this week with our special newsmaker guest, Sam Morrissey, Executive Director of Urban Movement Labs in LA. Great interview. I think you'll enjoy it. But first, a look at headline news, and then after the interview, a look at the future of public transportation. Headline news for this week includes a great news story, and that is that Julie Tim, currently the CEO of the Richmond, Virginia Transit System, GRTC, has been appointed by the Sound Transit Board of Directors unanimously as the agency's next CEO there in the Puget Sound area near Seattle. And the Sound Transit Board Chair and University Place Council Member Kent Keel said, in hiring Julie Tim, the Sound Transit Board chose an accomplished CEO who offers the right mix of skills and knowledge to guide our transit system forward. It's no easy task to plan, build, and operate the largest transit expansion in the nation, but Julie brings the leadership and collaborative approach to ensure our successful work continues. The board's action followed the recommendation of the board's CEO selection committee, which led a competitive process considering 90 applicants from around the country. Tim will join Sound Transit on September 26th after relocating from Virginia, where she is finishing her current role as CEO of the Greater Richmond Transit Company. Congratulations to our friend here on Transit Unplugged, Julie Tim, and congratulations to Sound Transit and their selection of such a great individual to take this position. In other international news, UITP has uh, announced that they are launching a new report, an extensive report, which took three years to finesse. It launched today at the Organizing Committee's Authority in Paris recently, and it sets out the many benefits of having a transport authority. It was written by the UK's Urban Transport Group with contributions from UITP's organizing authorities. The report is called Transport Authorities for Metropolitan Areas, the Benefits and Options in Times of Change. And it provides a guide for those metropolitan areas that are contemplating establishing a transport authority or for operators who require a basis for advocating for coordinated service. The report equally recognizes that no city is a blank canvas where one type of governance can be imposed. I encourage you to go to uitp.org to get more information and download the report. And finally, a look at what's happening in Los Angeles. Very interesting. As you know, we recently had um, a big kind of review of what's happening in major cities across the country when it comes to violence on transit systems. The LA Metro Board has approved a new transit ambassador program to help improve the customer experience. Ambassadors will be on buses and trains and in stations to greet riders, help them navigate the system, pay fares, download key apps, and work with LA Metro to quickly address issues. Congratulations to the LA Metro Board for this important program. It's been modeled on existing ambassador programs run by BART and SEPTA uh, in BART is in the Bay Area, of course, the Bay Area Rapid Transit and the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority in the greater Philadelphia area. And LA Metro's Public Safety Advisory Committee helped shape the program. Riders in recent surveys also showed overwhelming support for such a program, in particular saying they wanted to see more LA Metro staff on the system. 
we'll let you know how it goes as the reports come out from the system. And now stay tuned for our interview with Sam Morrissey, Executive Director of Urban Movement Labs, on this episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged News and Views. Our newsmaker interview is Sam Morrissey, Executive Director of the Urban Movement Labs in Los Angeles, California. Sam and I met up recently at the Co-Motion Conference in Miami on my coast. <laughs> but great to have you with us on the show on this bi-coastal interview, Sam. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So you're calling in from LA. And if our listeners could see it behind him, he's got pictures of all his kids' drawings and they're beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great mosaic behind you, man. So Sam, tell us about yourself and what you do at Urban Movement Labs and how you got started. Sure. Well, I am a transportation executive. I've been in this field for coming up on 25 years. I actually started my career in the Northeast. I was an undergraduate at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York. Worked a little bit in New York and Connecticut and then got sick of the winters and heard about this place called California. Came out here in 2000 and I've never left. I've worked in the private practice side as well as the public agency side. I was the manager of parking and traffic in the city of Santa Monica for six years. This was during the time when Uber and Lyft appeared on the scene and I was the manager of the taxi franchise and enjoyed all the challenges of integrating this new transportation mode into some existing city policies. And then as a private consultant, I've worked on a number of transit projects, heavy rail projects, highway, roadway, bicycle and active transportation facilities up and down the West Coast, including Hawaii. And I think all of that background and experience really helped me to see that there was a gap between the public sector and the private sector, whether it's new technology companies that are debuting a new ride hailing app that allows you to use personal vehicles to drive people around, whether it's electric scooters or whether it's some new mode of technology that's coming out. The private sector is well positioned to provide advice for a fee to clients, but that often creates a situation where maybe it's hard to say no to clients or it's hard to push clients to maybe do a little bit better than what they typically would do. And on the public sector side, I think there's just so many challenges of day-to-day operations that you're trying to manage with limited public budgets that you don't necessarily have the capabilities to think about what's coming next and how do you best position yourself for that. So that's how I ended up in my current role at Urban Movement Labs. So I'm the executive director. Urban Movement Labs was founded by Mayor Eric Garcetti of the city of Los Angeles in the fall of 2019. And really, that was in response to two big things that had occurred in Los Angeles in the prior years. The first was sort of the emergence of electric scooters. And I'm sure you've read all the different articles about where those scooters ended up besides the streets. They ended up in yeah. trees and canals, et cetera. Right. And I think the, the city of Los Angeles has to be commended for how they quickly organized and understood the the role of this new technology and how the role of the city needed to adjust and manage this new technology. But there certainly were some speed bumps along the way and some things that probably could have been done differently had it been more proactively launched. And then the second was, uh, I think in 2017 or 18, Uber Elevate uh, offered to come to Los Angeles and said they were going to launch an Uber service, but it would be flying taxis that would fly throughout the sky. And so I think the mayor and a number of uh, smart people in his office uh, said, hold on, we need to think about how do we position ourselves for success with these new technologies. So we were, we were launched in 2019. In 2020, we became a 501c3 nonprofit public benefit corporation. And I started in March of 2021. And I started just really excited about this mission of, of being a nonprofit, being in this third space, kind of filling that gap between the private technology companies and the public sector. And I, I think that's really a, an interesting place to be in. And it's a perfect melding of the skill sets that I've developed over the past 20, 30 years. That's great. So what'd you come up with on the uh, scooters? I know um, it's funny we're talking about scooters because I've tried them, et cetera, at shows and all. But just as we're recording this, just last week, 
when I was at the uh, CTAA Expo in Louisville, Kentucky, a friend of mine uh, and I, John, we rode those scooters for two hours all around the city. It was, it was birds and uh, they were awesome. I loved it. It was a great way to see the city along the waterfront of Louisville. We went all, I went up down the streets. They had lots of bike lanes I could ride in and it was fun. And, uh, but I, I'm aware and have seen and have, you know, recommended to numerous CEOs who were friends of mine early on, you got to get a handle on this man. <laughs> you know, they were everywhere. I remember in Memphis one time I was there and I was telling Gary, come on, man. And they, I think finally had regulations put in place and the city where I worked, the CEO of the MTA, they were an early leader, Baltimore was, of uh, putting in regulations. Tell me what is the best practice now in your opinion on how to manage scooters in big city? Best practice is a tricky question because I think what we have is the best practice that works for the current situation. I think the okay. best practice would have been for these scooter companies to maybe have asked permission or work with cities first before simply launching. I mean, the, the biggest challenge that I see with scooters, if you look at any scooter, any operator that's out there, in big, bold letters on the bottom of the scooter, it says, do not ride on sidewalks. And where are the scooters usually located? parked on a sidewalk. Where do I start and end my scooter trip? On a sidewalk. That's true. <laughs> cognitive disconnect. And yeah. Yes. I mean, having the dedicated on-road facilities is great. And that's where we prefer to ride scooters. It's a safer place to ride scooters. We see a lot of scooter use on sidewalks. So yeah, I think I people think, are looking at it when they see it parked there and they're like, is this really true? You know, is yeah. this like the one that says you should wear a helmet? It's a nice thing, but I don't need to do it. And, and maybe it's nice not to ride on the sidewalk, but where else am I going to ride? There's cars everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've unfortunately seen some really bad crashes and some really bad personal injuries from people who have, you know, ridden in the street and hit a hit an unmaintained piece of roadway and whether it's a pothole oh, yeah. or just a... And so, yeah, it's challenging. But I think in terms of best practices, I mean, the model that the city of Los Angeles launched using their shared data platform, the open data platform, the mobility data specification, I think that makes sense. They really tried to approach this collaboratively and openly. I think the challenge there is that most of the tech companies, when they develop their technology stack and, and the applications for actually using the device, weren't thinking about how they were going to share data with cities. So they actually had to go back and retool, which costs money, which makes their stockholders unhappy with how they're working with the city, which causes some friction. I think that the better practice would have been to engage early. And that's really what we at Urban Movement Labs try and do now is, okay, for newer technologies, how can we engage early? How can we make sure that the regulations and the systems that a city develops are not overly burdensome on a private company that are not going to impact the sustainability of their business model. But at the same time, how can we make sure that those systems are really addressing the needs that the public agency has, which is first and foremost safety, but then there's also equity concerns. I mean, there's parts of Los Angeles that are very underserved by public transit. Most of the people that live in those neighborhoods do not have vehicles. They would really benefit from having the mobility that scooters and similar types of micromobility offer, but they're not deployed there because the private companies don't believe that they'll get the economic return. So I think that, you know, a better practice would be to engage early to make sure that we can kind of develop systems that are hitting those marks a little bit better. That's interesting. So is that what you're doing as you digitize the curb and use Kiwi bots to provide digital data to the city of LA? Tell us about that some. That's kind of along those lines, right? Getting up there early? Yeah. So the way that we, we do the work that we do is we work with private technology companies and then we look for pilot deployments that we can do around that technology. And those, okay. those pilot deployments are trying to answer questions for the private companies. You know, how can their business model work? How might they expand their business model? And for the city, how can the city interact and work with this technology? I think the KiwiBot work was very interesting. It was launched before I started as executive director. So my prior interim executive director, Lily Schaup, and her counterpart in the mayor's office, Julia Thane, were the first to launch this KiwiBot program. And it launched in 
early March of 2020 with the idea that they would be delivering lunches to people in offices in a neighborhood of Los Angeles and very quickly realized due to the pandemic that there was nobody in offices yeah. to get lunches. So my predecessor said, well, what else are these devices doing? And we quickly realized that they quickly realized that they're gathering data of the sidewalks. They were trying to map out their paths of travel along the sidewalks in these business districts. And we are, my predecessors and then my current team started working with the Bureau of Street Services, which is one of the multiple city departments that has regulation over the curbs and public right-of-way and sidewalks. The Bureau of Street Services for more than 10 years has suffered a, a pretty major challenge when it comes to sidewalk maintenance. And the city of Los Angeles has actually paid out more than $10 billion in settlements for trip and fall actions related to sidewalk maintenance. But what you traditionally hear is the city of Los Angeles has 7,000 centerline miles of roadway. So that, you know, double that for sidewalks and even expand. That's a massive amount of sidewalks. They, they frankly don't even know where to start. Like what are the worst condition sidewalks and how do you best spend and prioritize the expenditure of the public dollars? But what we were able to do is connect the two dots, connect KiwiBot with the Bureau of Street Services, work with KiwiBot to verify that the data that they were collecting on sidewalk conditions was actually survey ready, actually suitable for engineering designs and then inform the Bureau of Street Services that this data set was out there and available and could be provided by these robots. And in February of this year, 2022, the city council actually put forth a motion directing the Bureau of Street Services and a number of other city departments that have responsibility over the public right-of-way to work together, develop a comprehensive plan for maintenance and upkeep of that public right-of-way with a specific call out to identify delivery robots and other new technology that's out there collecting data and leverage that data. So. I think that's a perfect example of how we're kind of yeah. opening the eyes of city staff that this is what the capabilities of technology are and working with the technology companies to say, hey, it's not a bad thing to share this data with the city because if the sidewalks improved, your robots are going to be able to right? do that That's cool. Does that lead you to that kind of your work on the zero emission last mile solutions? It's kind of similar, but also slightly different. So in terms of zero emission delivery zones, the city of Los Angeles really wants to replicate what's being done in places like London, where they've got full zones where only zero emission vehicles are allowed to do first and last mile deliveries. California, we lead the nation in terms of electrified vehicle transmit, uh, transportation, but there's still not a whole bunch of them, particularly in the last mile delivery zone. So the idea was to work with businesses in and around the city of Los Angeles that were desiring to transition to zero emission deliveries. And maybe that's zero emission deliveries using things like zero electric cargo bikes or electric mopeds. But we also then worked with the technology companies and camera-based technologies to actually monitor and manage that curb space. So the camera technologies can actually look at the license plate or the actual identifying features on a vehicle and identify if that is a zero emission vehicle. And those cameras can then communicate with the enforcement officers who may not be as familiar with what a zero emission vehicle is. We actually worked with the enforcement teams early on and the first question we got is, uh, is a CNG vehicle zero emission? We had to educate them that no, it's still compressed natural gas. It's still emitting something. It's not as much as an internal combustion gas-powered en uh, engine, but we had to educate them. So by using this camera technology to help inform the enforcement and, and monitor the use of those spaces, we're able to actually hopefully expand the zero emission delivery zone and provide more options for zero emission last mile deliveries and maybe remove the vehicle from it. Maybe use uh, electric bikes, cargo bikes, and mopeds. That's interesting. My last question is regarding delivery. I just read an article this morning that Walmart is expanding their drone delivery into many cities across the country. And I know you guys have done some work in urban air mobility. Tell us about that and what you see the future being for cities across America. 
Yeah, and I, I think when it comes to urban air mobility, I'd say that we're a little bit technology neutral. I think what is interesting to us about urban air mobility is not that it's flying vehicles or drones, but it's the fact that there's going to be a new type of transportation, a new transportation mode that is going to have to be overlaid and integrated with, with an already complex urban transportation system. So what we've been trying to do in the urban air mobility realm is first and foremost doing a lot of outreach and engagement with community-based organizations in Los Angeles to understand what are the perceptions of aerial mobility within the city? What are the current challenges? If you think about airports as they exist today, if you think about Los Angeles International Airport, there's something like 40 or 50,000 employees that work at Los Angeles International Airport. A lot of those employees are not coming from the areas directly adjacent to the airports, but those areas adjacent to the airports are suffering from the noise and the environmental impacts of air travel over them. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that the city understands that this new mode of transportation has to be integrated in a way where the benefits and impacts are more equitably distributed. So if we're going to be locating places for these drone deliveries to occur within the city or passenger travel to occur, how can the city think about developing policies and regulations that ensure that the people that live near those facilities are the people that work there, or the people that have the economic opportunities and professional development opportunities to actually go into this field of aviation? We've also been working with the city to help them understand how are all the different departmental functions of the city going to be potentially impacted by this new transportation mode? And then how do they have to start thinking about how they might respond to their day-to-day operations? So again, it's really thinking about how does this new technology disrupt the operations of a city and how can we give the city enough information today so that they can prepared, they can be prepared when this new technology arrives. So instead of the scooters just falling from the sky one day, the city's actually able to anticipate, okay, the, these technologies are coming in two to three years. Here's what we have to do from a planning, policy, regulatory development standpoint, and hopefully really align and be better prepared when it arrives. It's great, Sam. Thanks so much for sharing with us what you're doing in the city of L.A., and I think it's probably a model that many cities across the country could use is an organization which would help combine the best of the public and private sector and help them team up to produce the best results for our citizens. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I I hope we can share our knowledge with other cities, and I agree. I think this is something that's needed across America. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Transit agencies help get people from place to place. But if that's the only thing we have to communicate to the public, our marketing messages are going to get really boring. And boring messaging is actually a big problem. When we say the same thing over and over, we lose relevance, ridership, and even funding. So how can we keep our messages fresh and interesting? by telling transit's benefits beyond mobility. Here are a few ideas and how you might implement them. Transit keeps the air clean. What's the worst month for air quality in your region? Pick that month to share stats on air quality and how your service reduces pollution. Transit organizations provide good jobs with meaningful pay and benefits, plus opportunities to help the community. Develop that messaging by sharing stories about your operators, facilities, maintenance, and administrative staff. Transit improves community health. Not only does transit provide equitable access to health care, but people who live near more public transit are healthier because we walk more. Partner with local health care organizations to tell transit stories about equitable health care access and health benefits of transit. If you'd like to talk more about how to tell transit's many stories or anything else related to communication and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. 
Hi, this is Mike Bismar, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness, with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Well, I mentioned over the next few weeks, I'll sit with different leaders and peers in our industry and discuss the role that mentorship has played in their career, summarize their thoughts, and share them with you. And I thought, where else best to start than with our very own Paul Comfort, who has, of course, shared great leadership tidbits with us over the last few years with the Transit Unplugged podcast. I asked Paul if mentorship had played a important part in his career, and of course he was quick to say that it helped him become the person that he is today. And in terms of a memorable mentor, he mentioned a Mr. John Monson, who he attributed with helping him become both a better manager and helping refine his skills. Specifically, one example of his mentorship was when he helped Paul better understand the aspects of a local government's requirements for a bid. Those things resonated with Paul. I also asked Paul if he saw himself as a mentor, and of course he was very humble, but he did say, however, when he works with others, he believes in giving them room to be themselves make sure to share the goals of the organization, and agreeing to work best towards them together. Paul also instituted the buddy system at the MTA, a proud accomplishment. The buddy system allowed a new staff to both adapt to the job role as well as the culture of the agency, and more of an informal mentorship role. We know that company culture is key for onboarding, mentoring, and managing, and ultimately plays a large role in employee retention. So great stuff. And one piece of final advice, Paul inherently believes that being a mentor means allowing people to blossom and not be micromanaged, help them set boundaries and the goals, but allow them to achieve them with their own creativity. Mentorship allows people to be managed by outcomes and not inputs. Great stuff and a great first conversation. If you'd like to join me and tell me about the impacts that mentorship's had in your career, feel free to reach out to me on social media. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week. Kindness is cool. And now taking a look at the future of public transportation and a look at what's happening with me and the podcast. Many of you may have seen on our website or may have seen some announcements on social media about some changes coming from the sponsorship of our podcast, Transit Unplugged. Most of you may know that for the past five years, I've served first as Vice President of Business Development and now Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for the Trapeze Group, as well as Vontis and TripSpark Technologies here in North America connecting with the C-suite of our customers, sharing industry insights, highlighting transit agency CEOs through our award-winning podcast, Transit Unplugged, and our new YouTube television show, Transit Unplugged TV, as well as live events like CEO roundtables at conferences and visiting with scores of our customer transit agencies. I visited over 60 transit agencies in person during that time around the world. Now I'm excited to announce that I have shifted to Medaxo, in the same capacity of Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for the Americas. Medaxo is a global collective of technology businesses focused on people transportation and the parent company for Trapeze, Fontis, TripSpark, and many other companies, including TransTrack Solutions Group, the newly acquired Transloc here in North America, along with Satachi Technologies and Impressa One in South America, as well as numerous other public transit software and hardware companies spanning the globe. I'm now so happy to be connecting even more closely with these companies' customers and working to improve public transit throughout the Americas and the world in this expanded capacity. Also, our Transit Unplugged podcast, the TV show, and other live events will now be brought to you by Medaxo. With Medaxo sponsorship, Transit Unplugged is expanding to include even more coverage from across Latin America, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East and Asia Pacific. The expanded series is just one example of how Medaxo is helping public transport leaders connect and learn from each other to help move the world's people. I'm thrilled for this next chapter to unfold as Transit Unplugged takes on public transit 
now on an even more international level. We also want to tell you about some events and things happening coming up. I'll be attending the Compto Conference, the National Meeting and Training Conference being held July 9th through 11th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm excited to be there in multiple capacities. I'll be interviewing April Ray, the president and CEO of Comto, while I'm there for the podcast. That's the plan. Also plan to interview Alva Carrasco and Harold Humphreys from Latinos in Transit, the president and vice president. They'll be attending there as well. And hopefully we'll have interviews with them for upcoming episodes of the Transit Unplugged podcast. I'll also be there in my capacity as executive director of the North American Transit Alliance. Uh, We are uh, providing a $2,500 scholarship to a woman who is pursuing her higher education goals in transportation. We'll be there for the scholarship banquet. I'm excited about that as well. So if you're planning to come to Compto, hope to talk to you there and say hello. Send me a note on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect up for a cup of coffee or a chat while I'm there. Looking forward to being with all my friends there at Compto. And finally, I want to let you know about a book that I've been hinting at, and now it's close to becoming reality, a brand new book that I've been working on. As you know, uh, I've written three books over the last five years, Full Throttle, was my first book, Living Life and Your Career to the Max, with no regrets from lessons learned from me and nine other transit CEOs about our lives and careers and climbing the ladder and some things we learned. That is, um, that's been a fun book and one of my favorite books uh, that I've written. The second book was The Future of Public Transportation, which was a combination of 40 of the world's leading transit and transport experts uh, and myself with chapters about just that, the future of public transportation. I'm happy to say it went to number one on Amazon for public transportation books and continues to sell well across the world. Uh, Public transit agencies often provide it to their staff as well, even today. And then, of course, during the peak of the pandemic, my COVID lockdown project was I wrote a children's book called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. It's a picture book for kids ages 5 to 13, basically, and it tells the story of public transportation over the last 200 years, both here in the U.S. and around the world, exposing children to kind of concepts and the naming mechanisms we use for light rail vehicles and trams and trolleys and and all the things involved in public transport. It's a fun book. It's been used in schools across the world. All of those are available on Amazon. And I've been working for the last uh, probably eight or nine months on another book that is going to be entitled Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. It's practical advice from interviews with transit leaders from around the country and the world. And I'm excited to kind of give you a sneak preview today. The book hopefully will be published later this summer. And it's going to include a foreword by Bakara Sanderson Malden, who is chief of staff at the Memphis Area Transit System with my good friend Gary there and he as the GM. She's written a great foreword to the book. She's been a good pal over the years and I think really sets the stage for the book. And then I had conversations with numerous leaders in our industry and I asked them, basically, what are you doing right now in your transit agency that's working to promote equity and inclusion in your communities? and in your transit agencies. And I'm happy to say, actually thrilled to say, I've got some of the world and the nation's leading transit executives sit down with me and talk to me about that. And then we turn those into conversational pieces, which you can read and learn from. They include conversations with Alex Wiggins, who's CEO of Norda in New Orleans, India Birdsong, CEO of the Greater Cleveland RTA, Julie Tim, CEO of GRTC in Richmond, Robbie Mackinnon, CEO of Kansas City Area Transit Authority. Adelie Legrand, CEO of Tampa's Heart. Noah Berger, CEO of Merrimack Valley RTA. Inez Evans, CEO of Indigo. 
Brad Miller, CEO of Pinellas Suncoast Transit Authority in Florida. Paul Tolliver, former CEO and often called now a CEO whisperer and a member of the APTA Hall of Fame. He gives us an historical perspective on equity and inclusion in public transportation that I think you'll find very interesting. And then we jump overseas for me, uh, and we go to Melbourne, Australia, where he talked to Natalie Tilly Lowborough, who's general manager of Metro Trains Melbourne. She tells the story of several people uh, working in her organization. And then we also have a late-breaking edition. Terry White is writing a chapter to close out the book and one or two other special guests, which I'll reserve to tell you about soon. Terry, of course, is CEO and general manager of King County Metro in Seattle, Washington. We also take a look with some business leaders. So those are the public transportation agency leaders. But I've also talked to a number of business leaders, and we've included some of their comments and stories, including Nora Kamal from Proterra Bus, Bridget Beato from Luminor Consulting, Freddie Fuller and the team from Jacobs Engineering. We also talked to Linda Ford and Petra and other folks from APTA, the American Public Transportation Association, and Rod Jones and Teresa Domingo and some others from my companies who also talk about, the Peter Axel as well, who will talk about the importance of equity inclusion in our companies and what we're doing. So I think you're going to find this book a fascinating look and a practical guide on how to promote equity and inclusion in our communities, in our agencies, and in our vendor company, supplier companies. I think you'll find it a great book. I'm looking forward to publishing it later this summer, and you'll be able to find it probably on Amazon and other places which sell quality books. So that's a look at the future of public transportation. A lot of inside information today. Hopefully you enjoyed that. As always, let me know if I can help you. I'm at paul.comfort at medaxo.com now. Feel free to reach out and let me know if you want to be a guest on the show, if you've got comments for me on what's happening, or you want to share with me some stories about your agency and how you're improving operations, equity, inclusion, and more. Or if you'd like me to visit and speak to your agency, either in person or you know over online, I'm happy to do that as well, free of charge as a kind of a transit evangelist sponsored now by Medaxo. Thanks again for being with us on Transit Unplugged this week and every week where you get the inside information on what's happening in and around the public transportation industry. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guest Sam Morrissey of Urban Movement Labs. Next week on Transit Unplugged In-Depth, we have Charlotte Shaw, CEO of the Birmingham Jefferson County Transit Authority. Don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you're always in the loop with everything that's going on with the podcast and Transit Unplugged TV. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.